This Family Life News Podcast is made possible by the support of listeners like you. It's the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Good afternoon and welcome to the broadcast. I'm Family Life News anchor Sarah Harnish. Nation at prayer. This is how lawmakers started the day in Washington, D.C. Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. The book of Proverbs chapter 4. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. The National Prayer Breakfast kicked off at the nation's capital with back-to-back readings of the Bible by Republican House Speaker Mike Johnson and Democratic House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries. Senate Chaplain Barry Black opened with prayer before hundreds of lawmakers. Speak, Lord, for we are listening. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Last year, the prayer breakfast was taken out of the hands of an evangelical group that's run it for decades, the International Foundation. The event was also moved from a Washington hotel to the U.S. Capitol complex. Instead of 3,500 attending, now it's more intimate with just 300 lawmakers, President Biden among them. In my church, we've taken the 22nd Psalm and turned it into a hymn. It says, he will raise you up on eagle's wings and bear you on the breath of dawn make you to shine like the sun. Until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. That's sincerely my prayer to all of you. The president said if we keep God's peace close, it's easier to love one another. We have really tough, tough differences. We really go at one another. But remember, let's remember who we are. We're the United States of America. It's all about dignity and respect. So let's practice it. The prayer breakfast has been happening annually for more than 70 years. It's responsible for adding In God We Trust to U.S. currency and Under God to the Pledge of Allegiance. President Biden goes to Michigan today, a key battleground state in the 2024 campaign. He's going to be going to Michigan. It's going to be a political organized strip. When asked if the president will meet with Arab Americans disenchanted by the war with Hamas, Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre had this to say. The president's going to continue continues to believe that uh, Israel has a right to defend himself. Donald Trump, meanwhile, hoping for a big union endorsement after meeting with the Teamsters leaders in Washington. Stranger things have happened. Usually a Republican wouldn't get that endorsement for many, many years. They've They only do Democrats, but in my case, it's different because I've employed thousands of Teamsters. President Biden was endorsed by the United Auto Workers Union last week. An airport hangar in Boise, Idaho, flooded with emergency officials today as they tried to answer how a private hangar under construction came crashing down, killing three people and injuring nine others, five of them critically. There was a a large-scale collapse of the building, the framework of the building that occurred to the main structural members. Uh, came down. Fire Chief Aaron Hummel. There was hoists and so forth that our technical rescue team made entry and were able to rescue those people. It's not disrupted any flights. Social media scolding. Five social media CEOs, including Meta, TikTok, Discord, X, were asked on Wednesday by Congress why they aren't doing more to protect children. Parents of exploited kids filled the room. How many more kids like Matthew, 
like Olivia, like Riley. How many more kids will suffer and die because of social media? Here's Senator Lindsey Graham. You have blood on your hands. You have a product. You have a product that's killing people. The executive said they're stepping up measures, working with law enforcement and using AI to ID harmful content. Safety is one of the core priorities that defines TikTok under my leadership. We currently have more than 40,000 trust and safety professionals working to protect our community globally. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg was pressed to apologize to the people in the room. Show them the pictures. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? Zuckerberg did apologize, but quietly, Lori Schott, who lost her 11-year-old daughter, Annalie, to bullying, wasn't impressed. I thought it was hollow. I will say it time and time again. It wasn't, it wasn't sincere. It wasn't spoken as we have lost our most precious asset. Democratic Chairman Dick Durbin called it a reckoning and urged a vote to hold the companies accountable. We know who they are, the group responsible for a drone strike in Jordan that killed three Army reservists on Sunday. Here's NSC spokesman John Kirby. We believe that the attack in Jordan was planned, resourced, and facilitated by an umbrella group called the Islamic Resistance in Iraq. Uh, which contains multiple groups. CBS reporter Cammie McCormick says there's been more activity in the region as the Middle East waits. The U.S. struck up to 10 unmanned drones in Yemen that the rebels were preparing to launch. A U.S. Navy ship also shot down three Iranian drones and a Houthi anti-ship ballistic missile in the Gulf of Aden. There have been nearly 40 attacks against shipping by Houthi rebels since November. U.S. retaliation will involve multiple targeted bombings over the next several days. Financial relief may be coming to millions of families. In a rare bipartisan vote in the U.S. House, there's been passage of a $79 billion tax bill that would boost the child tax credit for another three years and reinstate some business deductions. Right now, you're entitled to $2,000 per child. We have never indexed that for inflation. So what the proposal would be is, hey, we're going to raise the amount by the inflation rate every year. Business analyst Jill Schlesinger lays out the numbers of the child tax credit changes for you. That refundable amount would rise to $1,800 for tax year 23 to $1,900 24 and $2,000 for 25. So more people would get more money. Analysts say it would raise about a half million children out of poverty. The bill's fate in the Senate is uncertain. And U.S. schools are still struggling to recover from the pandemic because of no-shows. Nate Malkus is with the American Enterprise Institute. Chronic absenteeism is the percentage of kids in a school or a district who have missed at least 10 percent of the school year. Rates surged from 15 percent before the pandemic to 28 percent in 2022, nearly one in three kids chronically absent. Still to come on the Noon Report, New York parents react to Facebook, TikTok and Insta before Congress shooting on Sundays in Pennsylvania and the Great American Outdoor Show just two days away. But first, weather with Kevin Williams. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin. Kevin Williams tracking a front that will be delivering a touch of rain and snow as we head through the next 36 hours, but clear out for some weekend sun. I'll have forecast details in 10 minutes. Thank you, Kevin. Checking the stories, making news where you live across New York and Pennsylvania. Parents in the Empire State are reacting to the hearing between those top five social media companies yesterday in Congress. Is there a way to protect our children online? Marian Anderson is from Auburn, New York. She's been fighting phones and 
and video games with her kids for 10 years. I don't know what they're doing. They're on the computer constantly. You don't know who they're talking to and you don't know what ads they're looking at or what information they're seeing. So it's very concerning. Parents want companies held accountable for content to minors, but legal expert Ryan McCall in Central New York says it's a freedom issue. Anytime that you're seeing content moderation, which is being really proposed here, you're going to have First Amendment challenges. How can we do this without overstepping? It's too big for anyone to really handle at this point with the web. Anybody can do anything online. I really wouldn't know where to begin with that. And no, I don't think that anything is really going to be done. Another hearing to tell you about, there's a cybersecurity probe in Harrisburg at 1 p.m. today. For the first time, we'll hear from Pennsylvania's top tech experts on how to protect towns across the state after two cybersecurity attacks on public infrastructure. One of those attacks by Iranian hackers temporarily shut down the city water system in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. PA Governor Josh Shapiro will give his second budget address next week. Shapiro set to be the first governor to deliver it in the Capitol Rotunda in Harrisburg, all because of a leaky roof. Mark Steers with the left-leaning Pennsylvania Policy Center. He told WHTM he anticipates more cash for higher education and mass transit. Let's talk about why we need more money. Pennsylvania is falling behind. It's falling behind every state in our region. Nate Benefield is with the Conservative Commonwealth Foundation. We're spending more than our revenues coming in. Spending is absolutely ballooned, far beyond the rate of inflation and population growth, far beyond taxpayers' ability to pay. The numbers are dramatic. Ten years ago, Governor Corbett's final budget was just over $29 billion. Last year, Shapiro's was over $45 billion. Steer and Benefield represent the push-pull over spending in Pennsylvania, spending that impacts your tax bill. If we don't address this now, it means tax hikes for you in the future. Yeah, we may need more taxes, but you know what? We can raise that money by taxing the very richest Pennsylvanians. Middle-class Pennsylvanians will not ever have to face more taxes. Shapiro's address is set for Tuesday. President Biden is poised to visit East Palestine, Ohio for the first time nearly a year after a fiery train derailment displaced thousands of residents. The town is just miles from the border of western Pennsylvania. The accident left many fearing potential health effects from the toxic chemicals that spilled in the train tragedy. Ohio Senator J.D. Vance is calling for new federal safeguards. We need to actually make sure we're doing proper safety monitoring of these railways, especially as they're moving through communities like East Palestine. Several weeks after the derailment, former President Donald Trump visited East Palestine. Trump called Biden's upcoming visit a year late and predicted his reception there will not be warm. A Pennsylvania man who set fire to a horse barn at Tioga Downs Casino, killing 30 horses and injuring a trainer in November 2023, will be sentenced in April after pleading guilty to 30 felony counts. 33-year-old Boyd Fenton is expected to receive the maximum sentence allowed. Eight people were displaced after an apartment caught fire last night in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. The structure contained three units and was heavily damaged. Everyone made it out safely. Former Buffalo Bills quarterback Jim Kelly and his wife Jill are speaking for the first time since the Federal Newborn Screening Advisory Board approved Crab A disease to the recommended newborn screening panel. The Kelly's son Hunter died of it, but his life would have been saved with a blood test 
test if it was caught at birth. So much work has been done, so much advocating for these children for almost two decades. Yeah. Here's Jim Kelly. I broke down in tears because I understand how important Hunter's life was, but I also know that what we're doing with Hunter's Hope is making a difference. Only 11 states, including New York, screened for the disease. A new law in the Empire State tries to close the disparities on missing persons cases. 270,000 missing women and girls were reported nationally in 2022, and 43% of them were black. In New York, 16-year-old Jakara Lopez-Moore was missing for a year, yet the state never sent out an Amber Alert. She was found dead. Don Rowe is president and CEO of GirlVow. Silence is loud, and injustice it lasts a very long time. New York has now created a task force to look at why the alerts aren't going out and how families of color can be better served in the Empire State. Is Sunday hunting coming to Pennsylvania? Allegheny County Democrat Mandy Steele has introduced legislation that would target PA's longtime Sunday hunting ban. Tom Engel runs Hunter's Warehouse in Belfont. He tells WJAC this. You get a lot of people that only have Saturday and Sundays to hunt. So if you give them another day, Sunday for instance, they're, they're going to hunt more, they're going to buy more licenses, they're going to come in, they're going to buy more, everything would, they would need to hunt. The proposal now goes before the House. The Sunday hunting ban is a holdover from 1873, 22 years before the Game Commission even came into existence. Hunting generates $1.6 billion a year in Pennsylvania and supports 15,000 jobs. Each hunter spends about $1,200 per year. And the Great American Outdoor Show kicks off on Saturday and runs eight days at the Farm Show Complex in Harrisburg. The event, presented by the National Rifle Association, features 1,100 exhibitors and celebrates hunting, fishing, archery, boating, and outdoor traditions in 650,000 square feet. Former President Donald Trump is flying in to speak on Friday, February 9th. Now let's get a check of sports with Bob Price. All right, Sarah, here we go. In the NFL, the Seattle Seahawks have hired former Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald as their new head coach. At 36, he's the youngest coach in the league. McDonald replaces Pete Carroll, who spent 14 seasons in Seattle winning the Super Bowl in 2014. On the hardwood, the Trailblazers ruined Damian Lillard's return to Portland last night with a three-point win over the Milwaukee Bucks. Anthony Simons led the way for the Blazers with 24 points. Lillard paced the Bucks with 25. He spent 11 seasons in Portland before being traded to Milwaukee last fall. Last year's NBA MVP dealing with a nagging knee injury. We're talking about Philadelphia 76ers star Joel Embiid. He's been ruled out for tonight's game against the Utah Jazz. The league's leading scorer will have his knee evaluated to determine the severity of that injury that Embiid suffered on Tuesday in a loss to Golden State. Just three games last night in the NHL, two of them went to overtime. Ottawa skates past Detroit 3-2. Anaheim beats the Sharks by that same score. Men's college basketball action. Northwestern took the second-ranked team in the country to overtime before losing 105-96 to the Purdue Boilermakers. Also in overtime, Florida upset eighth-ranked Kentucky. The top-ranked team in the country, UConn, scoring a 74-65 win over Providence, while number 20, New Mexico, fell to Boise. State. At the Family Life Sports Desk, I'm Bob Price. Still to come on the Noon Report, the president at the prayer breakfast, Zuckerberg's apology and the science behind the coming solar eclipse. 
Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Well, recently in the New York Times, pop culture critic Amanda Hess argued that the immensely popular Australian children's cartoon, Bluey, is problematic. According to Hess, the cartoon offers an over-idealistic portrayal of parenting, especially of fathers. Not only is Bluey's puppy dad bandit, quote, a good father, he is a fantasy, one crafted to appeal to adults as much as children, end quote. Bandit seems even omnipresent in the seven-minute episodes, Hess complained, too often playing with his daughters, too often doing the housework. He, and I quote again, represents a parent freed of drudgery, one whose central responsibility is delighting his kids, end quote. Now, the reason why this positive portrayal of dads and Bluey is a bad thing has something to do with what former President George W. Bush once called the soft bigotry of low expectations. See, Hess is not really arguing here that cartoon dads shouldn't be good dads, but only that if they're too good, well, then real-life dads could feel guilty, and real-life kids with absent or abusive dads could feel even worse. In other words, if everyone does not meet a high bar, we should lower it. In a strange sense, of course, Hess is making a case here that dads, in fact, matter, which they do. Craving a dad who's consistently present, attentive, and loving reflects something about who we are, how we were made, what we need, and whether we receive these things or not. We have this craving because it's built into the fabric of reality. We might wish and often repeat that men and women are interchangeable and therefore our moms and dads were too. But our own hearts say otherwise. In fact, social science data routinely confirms just how important dads are for the health and well-being of children. Kids who grow up without a dad at home are three times more likely to engage in criminal activity, more likely to engage in sexual activity earlier, less likely to go to college, more likely to have emotional and behavioral problems, more likely to struggle academically, and twice as likely to commit suicide. And as author and professor Nancy Piercy recently described, the best predictor that a child will hold on to their Christian faith into adulthood is if their dad held on to his faith and also nurtured a close bond with his kids. Now, none of these data points mean, of course, that children who grow up without an absent or with an abusive dad are doomed to failure, or that children who grew up with faithful, attentive fathers are guaranteed for success. However, if we do know, both instinctively and empirically, just how important dads are, Shouldn't we hope for more good fathers to be modeled in the media and elsewhere rather than fewer? In one episode of Bluey called Hospital, Bluey and her sister pretend to perform surgery on their dad. As is characteristic of the show, a few jokes are clearly aimed at the parents watching. This one was quite familiar. At one point, Bandit, the dad, asked pleadingly if there's please another game that they could play in which he could just lie on the couch and do nothing. Now, this endearing example isn't one of perfect fathering that Hess is complaining about, but it is quite realistic, and it perhaps reveals the real problem people have with this particular cartoon dad. He doesn't treat his children like objects or staff status symbols or constant irritants as items on a bucket list or as obstacles to his freedom, prosperity, and autonomy just an obstacle to his nap. See, according to Hess, the problem with Bluey is that it never portrays the drudgery of parenthood, peddling instead some irrational idea that a parent should delight in his kids. In Hess's critique, it's as if it's not even possible for a dad to feel annoyed or bored or pulled in too many directions and still choose to play goofy games like Hospital because at the end of the day, he knows just how consequential his love and his time and his attention is to his kids. In fact, it's more than possible that the ratio of annoyance to lifelong importance is outrageously lopsided for parents. In fact, it's not only possible, it's essential because only a dad can be a dad. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. And for more resources to live like a Christian today, go to breakpoint.org. Good afternoon to all. Here is your Family Life Regional Weather Forecast. Our call for this afternoon, rather cloudy, a rain or snow shower in spots. 
High temperatures near 40. Cloudy tonight and tomorrow with a touch of light snow or rain, depending upon your location. There could be a dusting to an inch, maybe an inch or two in the Poconos, but that would be the extent of it. Low temps tonight near the freeze point, holding in the 30s for most areas tomorrow. On Saturday, cloudy to start, then turning partially sunny with high temperatures mostly in the 30s. Thank you, Kevin. This is the Noon Report on Family Life, and I'm your host, Sarah Harnish. Here's what's happening this Thursday afternoon, the 1st of February. The National Prayer Breakfast wrapped up in Washington, D.C. today. 300 lawmakers gathered in the rotunda on Capitol Hill, where our laws are created, to pray for this country, its leaders, its laws, and its people. President Biden shared how he prays for America. My prayer, my hope, is we continue to believe Our best days are ahead of us. But as a nation, we continue to believe in honesty, decency, dignity, and respect. We see each other not as enemies, but as fellow human beings, each made in the image of God, each precious in His sight. We leave no one behind. We believe everyone deserves a fair shot. We give hate no safe harbor. Together we believe in America. That's my prayer, to remember who we are. We're the United States of America. The National Prayer Breakfast has been going on for more than 70 years. Officials in Idaho are searching for the cause of a hangar collapse at an airport in Boise. It was a, a pretty uh, global collapse that occurred. The main structural members uh, came down. It was fairly catastrophic. Three people were killed and nine injured. The World Health Organization put an alert out today on a predicted radical spike in cancer cases. They're expecting an 80% increase in cases around the world by 2050. CBS's Cammie McCormick has more on the numbers. 35 million cases as the world's population grows and ages. Already there are 20 million cases and nearly 10 million deaths annually. Lung cancer is again the most common. Colorectal cancer is now the third most common and second in terms of death. Alcohol, tobacco, obesity and air pollution are key factors. An unusual weather event dubbed an atmospheric river has begun dumping heavy rain on California and knocking out power with 60 mile an hour winds. Police have made several high water rescues. While these storms aren't going to see anything like what we saw in the 1 in 10,000 event that happened a few weeks back, we are still encouraging residents to prepare. The second wave of the system slammed Southern California on Sunday. The CEOs of TikTok, Meta, X and Discord were in the hot seat in front of Congress yesterday. Lawmakers wanted to know why kids are being exploited or bullied on social media. Missouri's Republican Senator asked Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg this. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? Zuckerberg's apology barely audible. Spotify isn't safe for young ears. Apparently, clean versions of songs for minors aren't truly clean if the child can read. We found that dozens of these clean versions by big stars such as Ariana Grande and The Weeknd still show the original explicit lyrics. Spotify's declined to comment, but we understand the company is aware of the problem and is working to fix it. That's the BBC's Gareth Breyer. And New York and Pennsylvania are gearing up for the eclipse of the century. It's just 67 days away. We've talked about Buffalo and Niagara Falls in the path of totality, but in Pennsylvania you can also see it in North Springfield, Edinburgh, Erie, Meadville, Northeast, Spring Creek, and Warren. Professor Darren Williams of Penn State University gives some 
science behind the eclipse. Any one location on the planet hardly ever gets touched by the very narrow, tiny eclipse shadow. This is just a golden opportunity. He says it's unusual that something so small like the moon can blot out the sun. It's able to block out the entire face of the sun, even though it's one three hundredth the size of the sun. He says you can take your viewing glasses off during totality, but before and after, you can really damage your eyes by looking right at the sun. During that three minutes and 40 seconds, the glasses come off. And then right when the sun pokes around the edge of the moon, then the glasses have to go back on to safely observe the rest of it. If you go to nationaleclipse.com, you can see if your city is in the path of totality on April 8th. Next on deck, our own Greg Gillespie with a closer look at the abortion showdown in Pennsylvania. It's Faith Under Fire in the Noon Report on Family Life. In the wake of this week's court ruling in Pennsylvania, I talked with Maria Gallagher of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Today on our Thursday news feature, we give you a chance to hear more about what Gallagher was saying, not just about the fight against abortion overall, but the current case and where taxpayer funding of abortions could go in the near future. Well, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court has ruled that a lower court must decide whether to allow taxpayer funding of abortion in the Keystone State. In this case, the PA Supreme Court issued a highly complicated decision of more than 200 pages remanding a Medicaid abortion case back to Commonwealth Court. And the state's uh, 3-2 decision by the Supreme Court demonstrates the highly divisive nature of the ruling, which involves when taxpayers will be required to pay for abortions. Now, for decades, Medicaid abortions in Pennsylvania have been limited to the rare cases of rape, incest, or to save the life of the mother. But this case opens the door to the possibility for full-scale taxpayer funding of abortion, which would just be horrendous. Do you have official numbers on how many of those abortions happen with the current law? Right now, only a fraction of abortions in Pennsylvania are paid for with taxpayer dollars because of those rare cases of rape, incest, or life of the mother. We're talking a fraction of the more than 34,000 abortions which take place in Pennsylvania in a given year. But we know from research that has been done that if there is taxpayer funding of abortion, the abortion rate skyrockets. And so this is quite alarming. Help us understand, is this a constitutional issue? Is it an end run around the regular form of lawmaking? Where did the challenge first rise up? The challenge was to a long-standing Pennsylvania policy, which ensured that abortions would only be paid for with taxpayer dollars in rare instances. But the abortion industry wants to see full-scale taxpayer funding of abortion for any reason or for no reason at all. And this would include paying for repeat abortions. And we know, sadly, that there are some women who have two, three, four, maybe even five abortions. And this would say that taxpayers would be footing the bill for those abortions. Now, way back when, in the 1980s, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruled that there was no 
constitutional right to taxpayer funding of abortion in what was called the Fisher case. But with today's ruling, the high court threw out the Fisher case, but it was a very narrow ruling. It was a three to two ruling, and there were a number of dissents to that ruling. One justice said categorically that this case was not about abortion. It was about using taxpayer funds for abortion, and that the court got it right in the Fisher case, and the court got it wrong today. We're talking with Maria Gallagher, who is legislative director for PA Pro-Life Federation. Where will this new case be heard or reheard at the direction of the majority in the Supreme Court? The new case will be heard at the Commonwealth Court, uh, which is not so much an activist court as is the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. So we are hopeful that the Commonwealth Court will rule favorably for taxpayers and for pregnant women and for their children. But we know that there's a great danger that we could see taxpayer funding of abortion in Pennsylvania, and that's a tragedy. This question may sound harsh, but I think it really sets the stage for this. Does the abortion industry really need taxpayer money to be able to make money off of the procedures they do and the pills they prescribe? The abortion industry does not need our hard-earned taxpayer dollars. It it simply does not. The abortion industry could be self-sustaining and not rely on taxpayer funds. But believe it or not, abortion is not as popular as the abortion industry would have you believe. And so the abortion industry has been losing in many cases in Pennsylvania and across the country. And so they need money from the taxpayers. They need a taxpayer bailout to fund their gruesome business. And that's what is happening here. Maria Gallagher of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. I'm Greg Gillespie. This is Faith Under Fire on Family Life News. Faith Under Fire airs Thursdays during the Noon Report or online anytime at FamilyLife.org. Let's get one last check of weather with Kevin Williams. Good afternoon to all. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. Keeping our eyes on a cold front over the upper Great Lakes, it'll be dropping southeast. Ahead of it, there'll be a rain or snow shower in a few spots this afternoon, then a bit of snow as it passes tonight into tomorrow morning. Then high pressure over Hudson Bay will deliver some weekend sun and moderately chilly air. Our call for this afternoon, rather cloudy, a rain or snow shower in spots, high temperatures near 40. Cloudy tonight and tomorrow with a touch of light snow or rain, depending upon your location. There could be a dusting to an inch, maybe an inch or two in the Poconos, but that would be the extent of it. Low temps tonight near the freeze point, holding in the 30s for most areas tomorrow. On Saturday, cloudy to start, then turning partly sunny with high temperatures mostly in the 30s. Thank you, Kevin. Finally, at noon, it could change the game for emergency response. Hamburg, New York is testing out new first-of-its-kind 911 software that allows first responders to see exactly what's happening when a call for help is placed. I think I need some help. I just saw a vehicle come into this parking lot here. Three people ran out of it. We have officers on the way, okay? The software is called Prepare to Live. Sean Crowdy is the emergency manager of Hamburg. He says until now, first responders could only hear the calls. That'll allow us to interact with them via text message as well as sending multimedia. So it could either be video 
or it could be um, still shots, pictures from their gallery, from their phone. Crowdy was asked why video is needed. It's the opportunity to remove ourselves from the dispatch center and see what they're seeing. They may see things that think is inconsequential, but we know that it's important to us. For our officers uh, responding in the cars, a lot of times our information is limited. Todd Arrett is in charge of those responding officers. Anytime we can embrace technology to make our jobs more efficient and provide a better service to our citizens, then we should probably look at that. When you place a call to 911 in Hamburg, you'll be prompted to accept a link that allows the transfer of live or recorded video and photos in real time from your phone directly to officers in their squad cars and 911 operators in the dispatch center. Digital media in emergency response to keep your family safe. And that is the world that we live in for the 1st of February. I'm Sarah Harnish, Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this Family Life News podcast. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, please share it with others and click the subscribe button to automatically receive future episodes. Family Life is a listener-supported ministry. Podcasts like this are made possible by your financial partnership. Find out more at familylife.org.